0: In the yesterday's lecture, we were talking about the landforms of the glacial erosion landforms due to the glacial deposition. We had discussed about the Boulder plate, We discussed about the lodgement Till. We discussed about the ablation Till. We discussed about the moraines, terminal moraines, the or the end moraines. We discussed about the lateral moraines or medium moraines, ground moraines. And I told you to read some topics by yourself. So the topics written drumlins, you had to read by yourself. Eskers, erratics. Did you
1: read
0: it? Yes, There was a question asked in the main examination. The question it was 10-market question. And it was about short note on basket of X topography. So what will you write in this question if the question says, short note on basket of of
1: X-topography.
0: What will you write about drumlin? What all features will you write about drumlin? First, you'll write what is a drumlin. Second, how it is formed. Where are the drumlins present? And what are the theories related to formation of drumlin? Like, for example, drumlin is basically a depositional feature that is found in the areas of glacial deposition. What is the shape of drumlin? It is back, or it is in the shape of an inverted spoon, or it is in the shape of an inverted uh, boat. So, we have this shape of drumlin, and a number of drumlins are found in one area. So, drumlins are usually found in large numbers in one area. So, if you look at the drumlin from mm-hmm. the top, mm-hmm. the bird's eye mm-hmm. view on the mm-hmm. of the top view, it would give you a uh, uh, it would give a shape of a basket which is full of eggs that is why it is known as a basket of eggs topography I what is the reason for formation of dumplings? <laughs> no, is the reason, but what is the main reason, what is, how are these formed? Gap yeah, is If you talk about the Stoss and Lee, if you talk about the Roche Mutoni, the feature would be a bit different from Roche Mutoni. Uska shape SI and we have that a different shape here. So, the most plausible explanation for the formation of drumlins is that drumlins are formed as a result of the phases of glaciation deglaciation phases. For example, once the glacier moves, as the glacier has moved over some area, then it would leave some amount of moraines. So, some moraines are left. Next set of glaciers, it comes in the phase of glacier at once, another set of moraines are formed. When we, we have the phase of warmer condition, when we have the phase of deglaciation, the glaciers would retreat. Now, when the glaciers would retreat, then these moraines would be left as it is. So, we would have a number of moraines which are left as it is. So these are representing the parts of the former glaciers. Again, when we have the phase of glaciation, when we have the glacier advance, then the glacier, the next glacier that would move forward, the glacier would move over this lateral moraines or the terminal moraines, and as a result of the movement, the glacier would give this kind of shape. So, the theory says that the drumlins are the result of the modification of the end moraines which were left by the glacier during the phase of deglaciation and during the phase of glacial advance, during the phase of glacier active movement, they have been changed into this kind of sheet. And they're found in huge number. They're different from Rosh only because we have a different shape with them. So it was a 10-market question, you'll be given only one sheet. So do not start the question with a diagram, do not end the question with a diagram. So first, what are the drumlins, then why are they known as basket of X topography, what is the shape, then you can draw the diagram and then you can write wha- how are the drumlins formed. So only one sheet is available, so just write in 80 to 100 words including the diagram. See in physical geography, in every question you have to draw at least a diagram. If diagram cannot be drawn, if you cannot draw figures, then you must have another schematics. So, schematic flow chart should have been there in the geography questions. In physical geography, there is a need to draw the diagram. The examiner, or when they, if you look at the question paper, the question paper itself says that wherever necessary, draw the diagrams. So, diagrams are must when you talk about the phase of landforms, or when you talk about the topics of physical geography. As we will discuss some more topics related to the glacial, periglacial areas. <clears throat> a contemporary topic. It can be the discussion of glacial like Outburst can be when you have a question related to climate change. It can be a topic of discussion in the disasters. See, if you have a mountain, if there is a mountain, and towards one end of the mountain, we have, or in one side we have a glacier. A glacier is in the active phase, and the glacier moves down in the direction of slope, it moves under gravity. We said that as the glacier moves, the glacier, it would have some of the moraines which are attached to it. So we have the terminal moraines, or the end moraines somewhere here, and we also have the lateral moraines. So we have a glacier like this, and we have some of the moraines which are attached to the Mm
1: nature.
0: What has happened with the climate change? With the climate change, we are witnessing the phenomenon of global warming. With the global warming, can I say that the line of equilibrium, it is shifting upwards? The line of equilibrium, if it was somewhere here earlier, now the line of equilibrium, it shifts somewhere at this stage. If the line of equilibrium shifts at this place, can I say this would be the area where there would be more of surface snow, there would be more of evaporation and less of snowfall? So this is a zone of ablation, this is a zone of accumulation. So this is which is a zone of ablation, now here in this area, the glacier starts melting. For example, I have some, let's say this book is a glacier. Book is placed over this slope because both are solid. There would be some amount of friction fold between the table and the book. But instead of this book, if I place a drop of water, water would start running down the direction of flow. So the friction between the surface and the water would be much lesser than the friction between the glacier and the ground. So here, if this line of equilibrium, it shifts to the upwards, it shifts towards the peak of the mountain, then whole of this area, it starts melting, This a zone of ablation. Here, whatever glacier is formed, was whatever glacier was there, now this area is occupied by water. So now some part of the glacier, which was earlier ice, now water accumulates in sea. Can I say that because of larger friction, we have the water which would start moving very easily, water would start flowing down. But this water is not able to flow down because the water is contained by the end moraines and the terminal moraines. So towards the end of the glacier, we have the moraines, and these moraines, they would act like a wall. Like when I create a dam. So if a river is flowing, I would make a wall, and that is the dam. So if I have terminal moraine here, lateral moraines here, they would contain the water. The lake that is formed here, it is known as the moraine dam lake. Tan is formed at the quarry. Tar is formed at the quarry. This is the moraine dam lake, which is dammed by the moraine. At the the water that is present it would exert a lot of pressure on the moraines. More of warmer conditions, more of climate change, more of global warming. The amount of or this line shifts further upwards. That means, zone of ablation shifts also upwards, so more of water is there in this glacier. So when there's more of water in the lake, larger amount of water means more amount of pressure on this moraine. A time might come when due to a very large hydrostatic pressure, the moraine is breached. It is not able to sustain that pressure. And once the moraine is breached, then within no time, all of this water, it will start flowing in the direction of slope and it would flood the downstream areas. This is known as the Glacier Lake Outburst Flood. And this is a danger that many of the areas in India, many of the areas in Nepal, areas in the areas like for example Peru, all of these countries are witnessing a lot of challenges related to the Glacier Lake Outburst Flood. And this has been a challenge largely because of the increased temperatures. More, what also happens is that when we start burning coal, let's say we have the thermal power plants. Thermal power plants, they will give a lot of particulate matter. All of that particulate matter, with the upper tropospheric, let's say we have the winds that are blowing on the surface. There are also the upper tropospheric that are blowing at a greater height. A lot of this particulate matter, it is deposited somewhere here. It has now been proven that after the industrial revolution but during the time of industrial revolution, we had a lot of this particulate matter that was released into the atmosphere in the western countries, like in Europe. Abhi, uh, you read after some time that there is a wind which is known as the subtropical westerly jet stream. That is STWJ, subtropical westerly jet stream. It would bring some of the sediments from the areas of Mediterranean and they would flow over the northern parts of the country, over the Himalayas. So the industrial revolution, When during the time of industrial revolution, a lot of soot was released, all of that, it has come towards the Himalayas and got deposited over the Himalayas. I mean, when I have ice, we know that ice would have a high albedo, that is, it would reflect a lot of sunlight. But if you have some of the black coloured soot that gets deposited on the glaciers, then what happens starts absorbing the heat. When it starts absorbing the heat, then it starts melting faster. So today because of the accumulation of soap, accumulation of these dust particles, melting of glaciers has been hastened. It is now a very fast process. And the number of lakes that are are under the danger of glacier lake outburst flood. Like for example, there was a study by UNEP, United Nations Environment Programme. It found that there is a lake in the eastern Himalayas that is Tida Lake. Between 1978 to 2005, the study found that in the PIDA lake, the amount of water has increased by 194%. That means the amount of water has increased by almost two times. If it had somewhere around 100 liters of water, now it has 300 liters of water. So by 200%, the water has increased here. More of water means that there is a danger of the glacial lake outburst. Like and we have a number of such lakes in Nepal and if you have this glacier lake outburst flood the effect would not be limited to the low-lying regions of Nepal all of that water is going to come to the cities that are there in the flood plains of those rivers which they have, which have their flows in Nepal. This happened in 1985. In 1985 there was a lake, glacier lake, Moran Dam Lake known no? as in 1985, this Glacier Lake Outburst Flood took place, and as a result, the areas as far as 400 kilometers from this lake they were affected. Well, uh, a very recent example. A very recent example. If you have heard about the Kedarnath disaster, in 2013, we had a number of villages which were swept away. Now the reason was that flash flood. The reason was cloud Along with the cloud cloud, burst, one of the very important factors here, was the bursting of a lake known as Chora Bari Lake. So there was a lake known as Chora Bari Lake, and Chora Bari Lake had increased amount of water after the independence that we started measuring it. So we had good amount of water in this, so more amount of water was preser- exerting a lot of pressure on the obstacles on the moraines. When in June 2013, there was flash flood, when there was essentially heavy rain for within a short period of time, when there were the cloud burst. The water suddenly increased and already the moraines which were under a lot of stress, the moraines were breached. And within 10 minutes, 270 million litres of water, it started flowing down. Within 10 minutes, this lake was empty and whole of this water along with the debris, it swept away the Kerala ground. So this was one of the major factors behind the floods that we had in Kedarna. So this glacial lake outburst flood, it is an imminent disaster that we might see in the country in the near future. So we have almost 800 such lakes that are there in the Karakoram and the Himalayas. So we have this as a phenomenon largely because of the climate change, largely because of the industrial revolution or the global warming. So this discussion can be included in the climate change, this can be part of the disaster management as well. Be noted down please. Sir, so what is the difference between the borders and the fjords and the places? Difference between? The fjords and the and <laughs> like both are the glacial deposits. No, no, no. Fjords are not glacial deposits. Fjords That's are basically coastlines. Coastline. Fjords are coastline to the glacial valleys are submerged under the ocean water. (coughs) Fjords may give a part deposition. This is deposition. But this is not fjord per se. Fjord is when we have a number of glacial valleys which are perpendicular to the ocean which are submerged under the ocean. They are the result of the phase of deglaciation, gla- or phase of glaciation followed by deglaciation. They complete. Glacial lake outburst flight. that the government is taking, like for example, the government many times builds retaining walls along, around the moraines. let so say if I have a moraine, around the moraines some dams which are artificial structure they would be built. The idea is that these moraines they can be supported by the retaining walls. Second idea is that you can have some part of the moraines broken down where the water is released very very slowly. So, some of the outlet of water is made to flow very slowly so that the pressure on the lake is reduced. The long term sustainable solution is that you prevent the erosion in the upstream areas. Because when the erosion takes place in the upstream areas, then we have a lake bottom which is filled with sediments. Water exerts more of pressure, more of sediment will exert more of pressure. So, that is the long term solution here. Yes. That, the uh, that is the same where the outlets are created. Uh, outlets are created and from this outlet water is released really, very really, very really slowly. Uh, sir, during some earthquakes or tremors, the uh, boulder or rock comes in between the water which is coming out of having a glacier. Then if it, it outputs at a flood, then can you create if during the earthquake, a big boulder comes in the midway of running water, like we can say that from yes. a That is not referred to as the GLON. See, that is, basically, we have had a number of disasters because of this. Like, even in this Kedana disaster, the reason was that because of mining, some debris had blocked the flow of the river. And a lot of water accumulated there. And when we had flash flood, when we had the uh, cloud burst, at that time, when the exert pressure exerted by the water was so high, and all of these debris, they came along with the valley. But that is not part of the area. No, 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 we, we are not saying that. Either. We just mentioned a long-term sustainable solution is that we prevent the erosion in the upper Asha, we have now we are discussing about the landforms of the periglacial areas. What are periglacial regions? Yes, permafrost regions. What is the characteristic of permafrost regions? That is. If you remember we discussed about the process of congelate flux, we said that in the permafrost regions or in the periglacial areas, we have the subsoil which is permanently frozen, and the topsoil, which is known as active layer, it undergoes freeze and thaw action. So the periglacial area, they are those areas where the subsoil is permanently frozen. That is known as permafrost. And over this we have the active layer and active layer, it undergoes a freeze for action. So during the time of summer season, whatever water that is contained in the soil, this water starts melting. Now, the water is in the liquid form. During the time of winter season, this water freezes, and this active layer becomes very hard. The permafrost regions, they can be continuous permafrost. They can be the discontinuous permafrost. So if an area is there where we have the long stretches for which the permafrost exists, for which for long areas we have, large areas we have, the periglacial conditions, that's the continuous permafrost. This continuous permafrost means where the permafrost regions are found in patches. And even within the permafrost, even within this permafrost, there can be some of the area where the soil is not frozen. Because of local conditions, geology, there can be some areas where the soil is not permanently frozen. If this is an active layer, some area can be there. This is permafrost. And there can be some area where the soil is not frozen within the permafrost, that is the talik. Thalic is that part in the permafrost, which due to some of the local conditions, it is not frozen. Even in the summer season, when the permafrost has frozen or when the permafrost is frozen, still thalic would have the soil which is unfrozen, it might have water which is present in the form of liquid. So these areas where we have the freeze thaw action in the active layer. And the permanently frozen subsoil that is known as a periglacial region. What would be the main form of weathering in the periglacial region? Yes, frost action would be the most important agent of, or most important form of weathering because frost action takes place because of expansion and contraction that is due to the melting of water and formation of ice. Whether it's considerable increase or decrease in the volume. So, in the case of periglacial areas, the most important form of weathering would be frost action. And it is also known as congelifraction <coughs> fraction. or of frost action where there is continuous expansion or contraction of rocks. Because of freeze-thaw action, that is the most important process under the periglacial regions. In the periglacial areas, we also have one more form of withering that is known as the frost heaving. Cryoturbation. Asha, what do you mean by this term pedoturbation? Pedo is related to soil and turbation means mixing. So pedoturbation means the mixing of soil. Cryoturbation is the (laughs) mixing of soil in the periglacial areas. So cryoturbation is a mixing of soil in the periglacial areas. Understand how this process frost heaving or cryoturbation occurs. an active layer and we have a permafrost. In this active layer, let's say there are some of the cobbles which are present, some sand and silt is present. So some fine particles of sand and silt are present and in this area we have some of the cobbles and pebbles which are also present. So suppose we have a pebble which is somewhere here, or cobble somewhere here. So somewhere here in the active layer we have a cobble here. During the time of summer season, can I say that there would be some amount of water which is present over and under this area? So we have some soil, soil would have some of the pores. And those pores, they would have some of the water with them. What happens is, when the active layer starts freezing with the coming of winter season, during the time of winter season, the active layer starts freezing. Can I say, when the active layer starts freezing, the volume of this water it would increase. Once the volume of this water increases, then can I say that as the volume increases, it would push the cobble upwards? So, I mean, Nietzsche said there is an area which is permanently frozen. Here we have a very hard surface, the water cannot move into this direction because already there is an ice here. So, if the water freezes to form ice, then this water has a considerable increase in the volume. And as a result of which, this rock or this cobble starts being or it is moved upwards. So earlier, this was the limit where we the rock. Now, the rock moves up to this position. This becomes the position of the cobble. This happens during the time of winter season. When the summer season arrives again, when the summer season arrives, the suns rays They will strike this area. When they will strike this area, some part of this topsoil starts melting. I mean, when the topsoil starts melting, then along with topsoil, some amount of sand would also start flowing, some clay would also start flowing. And as this area starts melting, then the sand along with water starts moving in the direction of gravity. So now water along with some sand and silt, it starts flooding this area. So this rock that had gone upwards, it cannot come down because now this area is occupied by some amount of silt, some amount of clay, along with water again we have the winter season again when we have the winter season what would happen to the water here again it would expand and as the water expands now this rock it is pushed somewhere upwards here again the same process repeats and as a result what would happen that after some time this rock it would come up over the surface So when we have this kind of process, this is known as frost in it, or it is known as cryoturbation, because under this process of cryoturbation, the larger particles they're separated from smaller particles. It has come up to the bottom along with water, and larger particles they have moved upwards or they have moved upwards. So cryoturbation is a process wherein the soil is very well mixed, where the soil is very well sorted where the larger particles of soil are separated from the smaller particles of soil. So this is the frost action or this is the cryoturbation. Once this process takes place, whatever rocks, they have come out. These rocks, they take some kind of shape. So some shape is taken by these rocks. Like if I'm looking at a top view, this is the top view. When looking at the top view, it can happen that the cobbles, they would take up a shape like a garden or they could take up a shape like a circle where in between them, we would have some amount of sand or silt. This kind of surface that is created, the process is cryotization <coughs> process, frost-healing. So surface create one where the number of shapes are visible, where the larger particles separate from the smaller particles, this ground or this surface known as patterned ground. So patterned ground is created because of the process of frost heaving, patterned ground is created because of the process of cryoturbation. You could expand, like for example, fill a <laughs> bottle with water, plastic bottle with water, and then fill it up to the brick. And then you place it in the freezer. The bottle gets deformed. What is the reason? Anomalous. So when the water turns into ice, I could have more of volume. More of volume means expansion takes place. Which one? Hmm. Yes. What also happens is that when you have the expansion, area is limited. See. can I See. say because of expansion of the cracks, we've about the
1: crack that's an ice wedge. An
0: ice wedge is created from yes. this no. ice wedge, the water, no. and along the sand, no. it comes no. down or of rock is moving, it is not moving under gravity, but because it's moving because of, of the rock. Yes, sir. See, when we have this cobble that comes up over the ground, when it comes up over the ground, similarly, some other cobble in some other area in the same location, it might come over, over the ground. So, all period of time, what happens is that some kind of arrangement is made. All the cobbles they come up to the ground, and when they come up to the ground, they take some kind of shape. So, when the shape is visible from the top, that is a pattern. Other than this, in the penetration areas, we have the two processes here. The third process we have already discussed that is related to the mass-based no mass movement, that was known as <coughs> mass movement. number? Conjury fluctuation. So we discussed the conjelly fraction or jelly flexion. And why did we use this term jelly <coughs> So why is this term jelly fluction? Yes, we discussed that because the soils are known as jelly soils. Characteristics are jelly soil what about the characteristics? Carbon concentration is high, dark color is there. Also, there is sometimes a layer of peat that gets deposited. Bongbus so bog is nothing but it is the area which is in waterlogged condition where we have these jelly salt forms. So for mass movement, <coughs> we have the congelly fluxion or we have the process of jelly fluxion. We have number of landforms that are formed here as a result of these processes. During the time of winter
1: season
0: during the time of winter season, runs the active layer starts melting or during when the active layer starts freezing, because of the freezing of the active layer, the volume increases and if it is a closed surface, then some kind of upliftment is there. So it also you something similar to a fold here. So this is the surface which is known as hummock This hummock it can have some vegetation over it. If the vegetation comes over this hummock, see hummock is basically a general term. General term for a mound or hill, it is hummock. So small hill, it can be called as hummock. A small mound can be called as hummock. In periglacial areas, hummocks are created when we have the freezing of ice, or sorry, when we have the freezing of water, and as a result, the surface gets uplifted. If the hummock has some amount of vegetation, then it is known as turf hummock. Turf hummocks, if they are present, they are usually permanent in nature. That During the summer season, the hummock would not subside because now vegetation comes up here and we have the sunlight which is not direct on this area. In those hummocks where we don't have any kind of vegetation, those are known as earth hummocks. So the turf hummocks, they would have some amount of vegetation, and they are permanent in nature. And if over the hummocks, if you have a hummock here, and over the hummock, you have a layer of peat. If a layer of peat is over the hummock, that is known as palsa. Make another diagram, mock with a layer of peat over it. <coughs> so in those areas where we have a mock, which is covered by a layer of peat, it is known as palsa. Drumlins are not in the periglacial areas. Drumlins are the depositional features. But is drumlins are not in the because drumlin is an uplifted portion. Any uplifted portion is a hummock. Yeah, but we have a specific term here. The turf hummocks are limited only to the periglacial areas. Any small mountain, any small uplifted portion can be called as hummock or hummock. please, Pingo and Pingo Lake. This is the ice lens, over this we have an active layer, under this we have permafrost. are the features which are present in the periglacial regions. They are the hills or similar to the hills which are much larger than the hummocks. That is, they can have the height which can be as much as 60-70 meters. This can be the height of a Pingo. And we can have the diameter of a Pingo which can be as much as 500-600 meters. And there have been Pingos Or there are pingos where the diameter is as large as 800 meters and the height is as much as 90 meters. But most of times, height is up to 60, 70 meters and the diameter is up to 500, 600 meters. Now, in this pingo, we have an active layer. And under the active layer, we have a frozen mass of ice. This mass would remain frozen even during the time of summer season. So this is a permanent structure that is created where the ice is there only or even during the summer season is If the ice melts, if the active layer is broken, then sunlight directly reaches to the ice and as a result the ice starts melting and water is formed or water is there and that is forming a pingo lake. Understand the process of formation of pingo. May I rub this please? when well, the top foil there is a good concentration of carbon that- Structure. Compared to a hummock, which is either earth hummock or turf hummock, Pingo is a much larger structure. Hummock's diameter can be 50-60 meters. The height can be 10 meters maximum. This is a structure in Pingo. I understand the process here. We have an active layer and we have talic here. Talic is the part which is at the permafrost or under permafrost which remains unfrozen. Do you understand this artesian well? What is artesian well? Where under pressure, water automatically comes up to the surface. So we have a talik which witnesses artesian pressure because, let's say, it is at the foot of the mountain. In mountain ke footway, all the water that comes up, it has a lot of pressure. So in the talik, the water starts rising up. As it starts rising up, we have the active layer which is pushed upward because it is coming at a high pressure. As a result of which what happens is, during the time of the winter season, this starts freezing. When it starts freezing, again there will be more of expansion because the volume increases. And we have this kind of structure that is created. So we have basically a solid ice lens which is covered with an active layer. That is because in the talik, we have some amount of water. And if it is at the foot of the mountain, then because of artisan pressure, the water comes up, the water freezes. And as the water freezes, we have the expansion and this kind of shape that is taken up, which is covered by the active layer. And if the active layer it is eroded, if the active layer is eroded, then what happens is the sunlight directly enters into the ice lens, it gets melted, and we have a Pingo Lake that is formed. So Pingo Lake is the result of the ice lens formation, is the result of the water freezing. And Pingo's, they would have a continuous supply of water. Pingo, they have a continuous supply of water and they are known as the, or they are also known as open Pingo's, where the water supply is continuous. So if the Pingo is formed because of the hydrostatic pressure, then it is known as open Pingo because it would have the continuous supply of water. And if the ice melts, then we have a Pingo Lake that is formed. So, this is one of the most important features that we have, most important landforms that we have in the areas of the uh, periglacial regions. Very briefly, note it down. Periglacial areas are those. Even the ice might not melt. So, because there would be under permanent cover of ice. These vale regions so like, regions. Summer season temperature can be 1 degree, winter season can be as low as minus 30 degree. This amount is some of that not permanent in here. The area is a very, very cold place where the ice does not melt and the sea ice, it is, ice is basically permanent. There is also a relationship between the pressure and the melting. We have something which is pressure melting point. the pressure otherwise it does not melt. There is some relation as well. Yes, they are not permanent structures most of the time. If you have the self they are permanent structures. In between two loops, you have water that comes up, that is active. Yes. yes. area. That is rainfall, more water accumulate. Yeah. Because it is under gravity. Yeah. Where will the water come? It comes out. It is under pressure. So, most of the times we have rainfalls which are formed in these areas. This also. <coughs> this is spring. We call this a spring. Cast land forms. I should on a question. I guess it was in May 2010, a 20 marker. Enumerate the essential conditions for development of caste authority or development of caste or development of cast landforms. Enumerate the essential conditions for development of cast landforms. what is basically a cast landform? A landform that is in- yes, then the landform that is made in the areas where we have limestone beds. So those landforms, we have some of the erosional features, we have some of the deposition features, those are cast landforms. Now, in the case of cast landforms, what would be the main agent of erosion? Water. What is the main process by which the weathering takes place? Solution of carbonation. That is water mixes with carbon dioxide. We have the weak carbonic acid that starts dissolving the limestone. I mean, in case of cast landforms, The question says, enumerate the essential conditions. All those areas where we have limestone, do we have cast landforms there? There are certain conditions. What can be those conditions?
1: Sinkholes
0: are the landforms that are formed. What are conditions we are talking about? Exactly. That is because we have the formation of cast landforms which are the result of solution, and solution process would take place only during the only in those areas where we have enough of rainfall. If you remember, we discussed when we discussed about weathering that if you place limestone in dry areas, and if you place limestone in the humid areas, more of erosion would be there in the humid areas because in limestone the main form of weathering would be solution. So one of the very important conditions is that cast topography or cast landforms would be formed in those areas wherein there is enough of rainfall, (coughs) there should have been enough of rainfall so that the water dissolves the limestone and only then we'll have some of the depositional or erosion features. What can be the condition? Yes, that is we should have limestone but the condition is that every area which would have limestone would not have the cast landforms. Limestone should be have should be large in aerial extent, and they should be thick in vertical extent. Let's say, for example, if I would have a very thin layer of limestone, then within no time, within let's say 10 years, 15 years, all of this limestone would get eroded, and there won't be any landform that would be visible. So, for cast landform to be visible, the limestone should have a great aerial extent. That it should run into kilometers, and there should be a great vertical extent as well. So that this process takes years, hundreds of years, and the landforms are made visible. So limestone should have great area as well as great vertical extent. (coughs) Another important condition for the formation of cast landform is that the limestone should be over and above the water table. If this is the surface, this is the limestone, there is some another rock. And this is the water table. So one of the important conditions is that the limestone should be over and above the water table. What is the reason here? <laughs> if we look to distance above base level we said that every river tries to achieve the base level. And for our water which is moving at subsurface level, what would be the base level? Groundwater table. So if you have groundwater table and over this you have limestone, that means when the water would move, water would move in the direction of gravity. And as it continues to move downwards in the direction of gravity, it would start dissolving the limestone. And only then some of the features which are the result of erosion, they would be visible. So we should have a condition where the groundwater should move in the direction of gravity that is possible when the limestone is lying over and above the water table. So, limestone should be over and above the water table. Actually, we discuss one more condition for chemical weathering. We said that if you have a bare surface and if you have a surface where we have a layer of regolith or we have a layer of mud, which is an area which is more prone to the chemical weathering? where we have this kind of mud and sand because it would absorb the water and then water would slowly corrode the limestone and slowly uh, dissolve the limestone. So one of the important conditions is that if you have a limestone bed, the limestone bed should have some cover of regolith over it so that it can absorb some amount of water and very slowly the water corrodes the limestone. Other than this, one of the important conditions for the limestone topography or cast topography is that limestone should not be highly porous. If the limestone is very porous, then dissolution would be very fast and the features would not be visible for a very long period of time. That is, if you want to see the cast topography, you must have a limestone which has a number of joints so that the water, it enters into those joints and then in these joints, the water the, enters through these joints. So, the solution would start from these joints. So limestone should have a number of joints, it should not be highly porous in nature. If it is highly porous without joints, then within no time whole of the landform would be formed and it would not be visible for a longer period of time. So whatever solution has to take place, it has to be through the joints. So these conditions are there, then the cast landforms can be formed. So one important condition: there should be enough of rainfall. The limestone should have good aerial extent, good vertical extent, that is thickly bedded limestone should be there. Limestone should be well jointed. We should have enough of rainfall. A layer of mud should be there, or a layer of regolith should be there. And limestone should be over and above the groundwater table. When these conditions satisfied, then we can have the formation of cast topography. <coughs> now, what are the erosional features of a cast (coughs) region. So we have this as a limestone bed. As the rainfall takes place, some water enters into these joints. We have a well-jointed limestone, rainfall takes place, and we have some amount of water that enters here. As the water enters here, water starts dissolving this limestone. As limestone is dissolved, some depression is created. So we water dissolved limestone, some depression is created. Depression can be created on this side as well. So, we can have a cylindrical depression, we can have a conical depression. So, this depression that is created and now when we have rainfall because this is a larger depression, water enters into this and this is the point from where the water seeps inside. So, this place which is created by dissolution of limestone which can be maximum up to 10 meters in depth, it is known as a sinkhole because the water sinks from this area. So sinkhole is that portion which has been created by the water by dissolving the limestone. It can be conical in shape, it can be cylindrical in shape and it is not very deep, maximum depth can be up to 10 meters, not more than that. This sinkhole is also a solution hole because this hole is created because of the process of solution. It is also known as solution hole. over a period of time, the sinkhole becomes, broad sinkhole becomes deep, because more of water enters there, more of solution takes place, more of resolution, and as a result, this sinkhole, it becomes broad, and it becomes very deep. So when we have broad and deep sinkhole which is formed, it is known as a swallow hole. When the sinkhole becomes broad, sinkhole becomes deep, it is now known as swallow hole. This action continues, and as the action continues, we can have a case where two or more than two swallow holes, they would join together. So two swallow holes are there, these two swallow holes, they join together and we have a large depression that is created. (laughs) So if two or more than two swallow holes join together, a large depression is created and this is known as doline. Or also known as dolina. Doline or dolina is a large depression that is created by the merging of two or more than two swallow holes. when we have this limestone bed, suppose this is a limestone bed, and over this we have a layer of regolith, that is we have a layer of muddled sand. When rainfall takes place, we have water that moves the surface enough. Can I say that water would erode this regolith? So some amount of sand, some amount of silt, or some amount of clay would be eroded. And if the water ultimately is going into Dolina, or into the line, can I say that this sand and silt or this clay would also be deposited at the base? So, once the rainfall takes place, water comes out as surface enough and it erodes some of the regolith, and some fine layer of clay gets deposited at the bottom of the do line. So, a layer of clay gets deposited at the doe line. So, the line is a broad or a deep valley or depression that is created and some amount of clay gets deposited here. And we know that clay is impermeable in nature. If clay is impermeable in nature, then what happens is that we have, next when we have rain, fall, when water enters into this line, because water is not able to seep down, some water collects here a small lake is formed this lake that is formed here it is known as cast lake the lake that is formed where the water accumulates in the doline it is known as a cast lake because clay is impermeable it would not allow the water to pass Suppose I'm looking at a top view. If I look at the top view, can I say, from the top, a do line would appear like a circle to me. If it, even if it is cylindrical or it is conical, it would appear like a circle to me. I have another do line which is near to this. Then a third two line which is near to this. And a fourth two line. So each of these two lines, they grow in size and they come very close to one another. If they come very close to one another, then can I say that we will have a structure something like this which would be created? So all of the dolines, they come together. And over a period of time, is doline there is some kind of limestone which is still standing. It would also get eroded over a period of time. Okay, this star-shaped feature that is visible to me, if I'm looking at the top view, it appears like a star to me. This star-shaped depression that is looked from the top, it is known as a cock. <laughs> so this star-shaped depression that is there it is known as a cockpit. So it is formed by the merging of two or more or sorry four dolinas, and the standing part of the limestone between them it is eroded, and we have a star-shaped depression. Looking from the top, it is known as cockpit. If let's say five or six dolinas are there, let's say if we have five or six dolinas which are merging together you have this kind of structure that is created If 5 dolinas or 6 dolinas, 7 dolinas they merge together, there is a structure that is created this shape, it is known as polygon cast so polygon cast it is that shape which is created when more than four lines or less than four lines, they would merge together. So cockpit is only when we have a star-shaped depression created. Before the formation of this cockpit, before the formation of this cockpit, if we said that we had this kind of structure which was remaining. When the two lines merged together, this some structure was remaining here. So if I'm looking from the bottom, can I say that we have large depression and in between the depression there's some tower that is standing? So this portion is known as tower cast. This portion is known as tower cast. So if I'm looking at the features of erosion, through the process solution, we can have the features like we have the sink in the increasing water size, So we have sinkholes, larger sinkholes are swallow holes, larger swallow holes are dolines, larger than dolines are jama, and larger than jama are uvalas. So this is the increasing order of size, and all of these are the result of solution. So all of these they are the result of the solution process. There is a very large depression in the landform regions which can run into hundreds of kilometers. Like it can have an area which can be as, as much as 300 kilometers square, 400 kilometers square. And that is known as poly Depend as E-O-L-J-E. See, is not the result of solution. poly is not the result of solution. Polier is a structural landform. So, poly is the result of the folding or faulting movement. Let's say, for example, in some area, if folding takes place, we have mountains and in between the mountains we have a depression. Here, depression is, or valley, is not created because of solution or erosion, <coughs> but it is a structural landform. The poly they can be the result of folding, they can be the result of faulting, and they are not the result of the erosion. They're not the result of solution, but they are the structural landforms. So very large depressions which are structural in nature, they are the police. And the cave. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it can happen in in no if the clay is deposited then we might not have the vertical erosion. Then we might also have a lake. But it is slow, it is such a small area that even if you have deposition, then the water would fill up pool of the swallow hole and then the sides would get eroded. is created or a small hole is created the water enters into this limestone bed Abhi, yaanper, we have a bedrock which is impermeable in nature we have bedrock which is impermeable in nature so what happens is this limestone or is or the river that enters it, it starts moving in the direction of the slope and it starts moving at subsurface level and it keeps on moving at subsurface level it keeps on eroding this limestone it keeps on dissolving this limestone the limestone dissolves in the water and the water moves in this direction as a result of which a horizontal depression is created and this is known as a limestone cave so you have a limestone cave which is created here again another sinkhole forms here let's say another sinkhole forms at this place and this sinkhole it joins this cave again so it also joins the cave so you have a river which is flowing at the subsurface level. You have a cave created and then two pipe-like features are there which are joining the cave with the ground. So these pipe-like features which are joining the cave from the ground, they are known as ponodes. And cave is largely due to the horizontal subsurface movement of the river water where as it moves, it keeps on dissolving the limestone. And these caves, they, are, they will be formed over a period of hundreds and hundreds of years. Over 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, some amount of these caves can be formed. So we have this as a very, very slow process where we have the formation of caves and we have the formation of ponos. Okay, now, for example, you have a limestone bed here. So, limestone bed starts from this area, limestone bed, so bed ends in this area. So, here we have impermeable rock, here we have impermeable rock. River enters here, here at the junction where we have limestone bed, where we have a joint, a sinkhole is formed. So, river enters into the sinkhole and this river moves at the subsurface level, as I said, at the subsurface level, river is beating. But towards the end of this limestone <coughs> bed, it encounters an area which is impermeable, now what happens? river starts rising up, so I have a surface which is something like this where at one point we have the river which is going inside and at the other end we have the river which is moving out. So can I say that in between two points of the river where the river is sinking and when the river is reappearing, there is a land that is there that is represented by this book. This land would be like a bridge and this is known as a natural bridge. So you have a river which is moving like this and we have a land which connects the two ends of the river, sinking end or the end where the river is reappearing, that's the natural bridge. Uh, we suppose you have a river here. We have a surface which is covered with regolith. This is limestone, this is another bed, and this is another rock. So, limestone is permeable, rest of the two we are assuming are impermeable. Or <coughs> suppose we have something like this we have this as a surface, where limestone is extended. a river starts moving over this area. If a river is moving over this area of bedrock or regolith, I am saying that regolith is let's say 20-30 meters deep or 40 meters deep. So a very deep layer of regolith is there, 50-60 meters. When the river is flowing over regolith, can I say river would make a valley? Is it clear to you? So if I have a layer of regolith like this, this is the limestone bed and over this limestone (coughs) bed we have a layer of regolith. So, the valley jo wo it is made somewhere here. So, we have a valley which is made at this position. And then, under this, we have the limestone bed. A river valley is formed here. And the river valley continues from this bedrock to the areas where we have the light stone. We have a river valley. But now what happens is, over a period of time, when the river goes for vertical erosion, when the river goes to lateral erosion, can that whole of this regular would be eroded over a period of time? at least for the place where the river has been existing, where the river has been flowing. So over a period of time, whole of this bedrock has been eroded. You have at least for those areas where the river valleys were there. So river flows over this bedrock and as it encounters this area, it forms a sinkhole here and the river disappears and the river moves at subsurface level here. If I'm looking from this end, can I see a valley which had already been created here? Am I able to make my point clear? So from this end, I am able to see a valley. But will this valley have any amount of water? Water is not present because river has sunk inside river, is moving at subsurface level. So this valley in the cast region, which is dry, because the river has gone inside is known as a blind valley. So it is known as a blind valley. You have one bed where you don't have limestone. We have a river valley that is created. Under this G.C. we don't have a limestone bed. Now, there is another bed here. Let's say there is another valley. There is one more valley that is present here. And under this ruba made simple, we have some amount of limestone that is there. So, here a valley is created over the regolith, which is over the bedrock and which is also over the limestone. Abhi, when whole of this regolith is eroded, till that time we have the regolith, we have valley. But once the regolith has been eroded, the river would reach in the bedrock. Here a bedrock would be made by the river. But what happens when it enters at the limestone bed, river would seep inside, but this valley would remain. But if I'm looking from this side, I'm only looking at the valley which does not have any amount of water. That is a blind valley. Note it down, please. Ribstone, flowstone, stalactites, stalagmites, cave curtains, cave pillars. I have this as the cave floor ceiling and this as a cave floor. If we open, we have some amount of limestone, rainfall takes place, water enters the limestone and the water dissolves from the limestone. As we water dissolves dissolve the limestone, the water droplet it is at this point, at the cave. For example, if I dip a finger <coughs> of mine in a glass of water and then take out this finger, then some amount of water droplet would be attached to my finger. If the weight of the droplet is too large, then the droplet would fall. Otherwise, some amount of water is held within the finger due to surface tension here. Some tension is there, some cohesion is there because of which the droplet is there. If I leave this finger as it is for a very long period of time, then some amount of water would automatically evaporate from this area. So when the limestone bed is there, the rainfall takes place, water moves in direction of gravity, and some small droplet has accumulated somewhere This droplet has accumulated because the weight is not very high, the droplet does not fall down. Now, because it is moving over limestone, can I say this drop of water has some amount of limestone dissolved in it? <coughs> so some amount of limestone is dissolved in it? Over a period of time, this water evaporates. And as the water evaporates, what is left behind? It's only limestone which is left behind. So, when the limestone is left behind, this process takes place for some more time and a large drop of limestone is formed which is attached to the ceiling. This drop of limestone which is attached to the ceiling, that is known as a dripstone. If the water enters into this area and a droplet is too large, it falls under its own weight and the water accumulates at this place at the cave floor. Here the water would evaporate. And if the water evaporates, then we are dipped with another drop of limestone that is known as a cave pearl or it is also known as a flowstone. So, dripstone would have its counterpart on the cave floor that is known as a flowstone. If this dripstone becomes larger in size over a period of time, the flowstone also becomes larger. Some more of limestone is added, it becomes even more large, and then some more of limestone is added. And this also enlarges. So we have the vertical projections which are hanging from the roof and they are known as the stalactites. So we have large dripstones which are hanging from the roof, they are stalactites. And their counterpart at the bottom and the floor, it would be stalagmites. So this would grow inside, this would also grow inside. Over a period of time, when they start growing in size, then what happens is a time comes when they would merge with one another. Then we have a pillar-like thing formed which is known as the cave pillar. So then the cave pillar is formed. (coughs) Then, if you have the droplets which start growing in size. These droplets, they start growing in size. And a number of these droplets or projections are found along the stalactite. Then these projections, needle-like projections, along the sides of stalactite, they would make the cave curtains. So they would make the cave curtains. And all of these features, all of these features, collectively, one term is used for the deposition feature that is known as Speleothems. <coughs> speleothems, it is all of the depositional features which are collectively known as Speleothems. Some depositions which are attached to the stalactites and selimite, respectively, they are known as helictite and heligmite Now, okay, for example, the water which has some amount of limestone, it falls over the top of the selectite. Oh, sorry, selimite. And the water flows over the top. What can I say? Can I say that the water will start moving in the direction of slope? And as the water moves in the direction of slope, it accumulates somewhere here, and then. Uh, something like a flowstone is created, but which is attached to the stalactite uh, That is a heligmite. So helictites and heligmites are those dripstones or flowstones which are attached to the stalactites and stalagmites respectively. There is a cave like this. We have a cave here. If the projections like cave curtains are hanging at the mouth of the cave, they were hanging in the cave itself. If projections are hanging at the mouth of the cave, at every entry point of the cave, then these depositions, they are known as Trevor types. So projections that are hanging from the mouth of the cave they are known as trevetides. T R A V E R T I N E. a limestone pavement where we have a number of depressions formed from the uplifted portions which are formed. So the Vigilite feature, they are known as pinnacles or clites and the depression known as cliffs or grikes. So it is a deposition feature. Oh, sorry, erosional feature. Erosional feature, a limestone pavement, or also known as lappies. <laughs> limestone pavement or lapis. The the ridges are known as lines or pinnacles and the depressions they are known as the cliffs or rights. <clears throat> so we have covered some topics here from dcb we have covered chapter 5 <coughs> chapter 6 we have covered We have covered chapter 4, 5, 6, and 8. Chapter 4, 5, 6, and 8. These are topics we have covered. We have just a number of questions. If you can please attempt those
1: questions.
0: So if you can attempt those questions, that would be good for you. Ajay, you will have a chance tomorrow and day after. And on Monday,
1: Saru would resume the classes der erste, warum wir